Hello, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. I also, I was talking to my cousin who is 30, and he was talking about, he quit drinking at around 23, like my age, and so he and I talk about it a lot. And um, he was like, yeah, it's definitely interesting in the beginning because you haven't seen that many people's lives negatively impacted by alcohol by any way. But he's like, now that I'm older, it's like I have friends who are pregnant who took long breaks from drinking because they were having a baby and like the husband did it in solidarity or, or he like on this worst side of it, like he's seen people's lives ruined by alcoholism that was like fun partying in college and then kind of never went away. And he's like, I honestly think like people evolve naturally to the concept of it over time, just because you start seeing more of it. And when you're in college or like our age, it's hard to understand the negative impacts because you don't see as much of it. And so I think that's another one of the, one of the struggles with quitting at a younger age is a lot of people are like, but it's fun. And what you're saying, like, we're still young. It hasn't like, we don't have marriages to ruin. Like, don't worry about it. And I love your building analogy. Another thing that I find with my friends is I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say like, Hey, I feel like I have a problem or I've really been having terrible hangovers or like, I honestly, like they always come on Sunday, which I always think is funny, but like people with X, you know, <laughs> Sunday and be- oh, like, they're just like, I'm so miserable. Like, how has it been for you? And I, I think so many more people are thinking about it than you understand when you're going through it. And that's one of the things I've found. And I'm sure you found with Sober Girl Society, yeah. you found a lot of them. So on a, on a Sunday, it's the busiest day. We get the most new followers. Yeah. On Sunday, <laughs> it's so true. It's just like, everyone's like, fuck, I'm tired and I hurt. And I know that Jordan's talking about this. So I might as well like reach yeah. out to her. So I try to be conscientious of like when people are pushing me at parties or anything like that. Like the first party I went to, literally the only conversation I had the whole night was like, why are you not drinking? Um, but I, I'm trying to be like empathetic to the fact that a lot of people are just like curious and interested because they're like, me too. And I'll say like, it's because yeah. it makes me super depressed. And they're like, it makes me really depressed. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Cause you think people are asking you like, because they're not being rude, but they're like, oh, why are you not drinking? But actually they're more like, oh, I want to do that as well. I always say like every kind of weekend away I go, especially if I go like on a hen party where I don't know, like I don't know the bride's sister or whoever. At the start, I'm like, oh, the the girl who doesn't drink. By the end, they're all coming to me. Like as we're like departing to go home, they're like, oh, I'm really like after this weekend, I'm really thinking about it. I'm going to follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. Like I think people by the end of it will like come and talk to you because it's not because they're rude. It's because they're genuinely interested. They, they want to know for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I also think people want, there's the, the flip side. I love those people, but there's also the people who want to know, like, do I have a problem and are like kind of yeah. <laughs> projecting. But I think that gets well into like my next question, which is how do you label yourself and how do you handle other people trying to label you? That's been a really big stressor of mine. Um, I think a big reason I drank was for external validation. And so going into sobriety, like external validation is a stressor. (laughs) Um, So I'd love you to just talk about like labeling and that whole situation. 
Yeah, I think when I first stopped drinking, um, I kind of said, oh, I'm sober because it just carried a little bit more weight for me because I think obviously I I didn't want to label myself as an alcoholic that didn't feel like my label, but I wanted something that was a bit weighty that didn't necessarily garner as many response questions. If I said I'm sober, people kind of would be like, oh, okay, like fair enough. As time has gone on, and it feels a bit weird to say things I run sober girl society, I don't even really use the word sober that much anymore. I just say I don't drink. It's the same way like I would say I don't smoke or I don't I just I just say I don't drink. Like it's it's not even necessarily a label to me. And this is what I say about like the importance of labels as well will shift at the start. Like the, the label sober was really important to me because it did feel like a big part of my identity or like my new identity. It felt like it would keep me accountable if I kind of slapped this label on myself and said, like, I'm sober. I, I wouldn't like go back to drinking. And as time has gone on, that label has become less and less important to me. And like you said at the start, it's such a new thing. Everyone wants to ask you about it. It's like the main conversations that you'll have. Now, like me and my friends don't even talk about it. They'll talk about it in like a work capacity because they'll say, how's work going? But they, we don't we just don't talk about it anymore. It's just something that I don't do. Like my friend who stopped eating meat three years ago, like I don't constantly ask her. But at the beginning, I was like, how are you finding it? Like, have you got any good alternatives? Like now it, it rarely comes up. It's just something we just go to a restaurant. And I know that she doesn't eat meat. We go to a bar and they know I don't drink. Like it's, I don't really even wear a label as much anymore, but I think you have to do what is right for you, whatever feels empowering, whatever you think is going to keep you accountable, like use that label. And and sometimes, you know, I know people who use different labels. I think I talked about uh, my friend in the book who I interviewed about AA. She said that she calls herself an alcoholic in AA meetings, but outside she doesn't. So you can switch that label as well. Like I'll say to some people, oh, I'm sober. If I think like, oh, they're quite likely to push me on this. But with my friends, I don't really use it. I just say I don't drink. And like, if a new person says to me, oh, do you want to drink? I just say, oh, no, thanks, I don't drink. It, it's totally up to you what labels you use and only you can decide on that. And I think if you want to reject all labels, cool. If you want to adopt labels, also cool. Like you've got to do what's right for you. Yeah, I feel like labels are the scariest thing to me. <laughs> like when, <laughs> um, when I quit like nicotine, I didn't want to tell myself that I was never going to have one ever again. I told myself that if I was drinking and I wanted to, I could. But then every time I've drank since, I've just actually never wanted it, which I think has made me come to the realization on my own that I I never will do it again. Like I can confidently say that now, but before in the beginning, I was like, I don't want to say that because what if I do and then I do it one more time and then like my whole journey is ruined because I like – started doing it again. And so I'm like, I've been thinking about my relationship with alcohol for like, ever since like COVID started and the whole pandemic, I didn't drink for like those first like six months, but it wasn't really intentional. I just like didn't do it. And so I think like subconsciously I've been reevaluating it for a while. And now this year I've been training for a triathlon. So I don't even have time to drink anymore. And I don't even have like the energy to drink. So I'm like, after this triathlon, like, what does my drinking look like? And now it's summer and people are going to start drinking a lot more in the summer. And I'm like, kind of, I don't know, I'm like apprehensive to see what it looks like. But I'm also scared to be like, oh, I'm never, I'm never going to drink again. Or like, I'm also scared to commit to three months sober. Like, I don't know why, but (laughs) even though I've kind of done that anyway this year, the whole label of it all sounds scary to me. And so I feel like, that's how I feel like 
when I was running last weekend, we had like a super long run and my boyfriend's like, okay, let's get to 20 minutes and then we can walk one. And I was like, I'll do what I can. But then I would do the 20 minutes and it was fine. (laughs) And so I feel the same with drinking. I'm like, I'll do what I can. And we'll just see, like, maybe I'll go two weeks and that will be easy. And then I'll go two months and that'll be easy. But I'm like, the label thing, I don't know why. I, the pressure to fail feels really heavy in a way. Yeah. But you're so self-aware and that's so good. And that's what you have to keep. Like, don't let other people get in your head and be like, we need to label yourself sober or you need to say I'm taking a three months. Like, the way you're doing it is what's right for you and everyone is different. Like, some people need to have that accountability to stop them, like, slipping. Other people are going to, like like you said, you might do two weeks and then you have one and then you feel so guilty. And actually, guilt is such a big trigger for drinking. And once you've had that one, you'll be like, oh, well, you know, I've ruined it now. I'm going to carry on drinking. So, like, you know yourself better than anyone you have to do what's right for you and I think as well like everyone always thinks I'm gonna like try and convert everyone to like complete sobriety like no absolutely not I just think everyone can be more mindful with their relationship with alcohol whatever that looks like to you it's your your body it's not to me what you do so like keep that self-awareness and know what works for you if you want to say I'm going to do a week and then actually you get to a week you say that's easy I'm going to carry on like do that, whatever works for you. I mean, that's a whole thing in AA is one day at a time. People just say, I'm just going to get this day sober and then that's it and I'll see what tomorrow is like because otherwise it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like too much to look to the future. But then for people like me personally, it's actually been quite freeing because if I take it off the table, I'm not worrying about it. I'm not thinking about it. It's not mental gymnastics for me. I just like, I'm like, it's done now. My relationship is is over. Like, I'm not going to go back to it. I've closed it up. It's like an ex-boyfriend. I'm like, no, I'm over them now. So that that's what works for me. But it's, it's not going to work for everyone and it will change what will work. You might get to a point where you're like, actually, I'm ready to say like, I'm a non-drinker. So you, literally, you just have to do what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to like figure it. It's scary to think about too, because so many, I don't know, so much of society is like centered around it, that it is, that makes it feel so much heavier too. But I'm wondering like, what for you, what is your most favorite benefit of not drinking? Like if you had to pick one thing, (laughs) what is that one thing? I would I'd probably say no hangovers because for me they were just like horrendous like no matter how much fun I had on the night out the next day it would have been totally ruined so like there's nothing and I just don't think this is the benefit that I think it's the benefit that never gets old I'll wake up on like a Sunday I'll be like super fresh I'll be like go out we like sunshining go and get a coffee go for a little walk and I just think like I'm so happy that like I get to wake up like really hangover free and then like, I'll get texts from one of my friends that'll be like oh I'm dying I was so drunk last night and I'm like that that for me is the biggest <laughs> benefit but I always say like I think people think I've like joined some kind of cult because I say there is not genuinely not one part of my life that I don't think has got better for not drinking. So whether that is like finances have improved, relationships have improved, mental health improved, physical health, like productivity, energy, it could just go on and on. But I would say no hangovers is by far the best. Yeah, I have posted like six videos about (laughs) my Saturdays and Sundays because I'm like, I cannot tell you that like, I used to live for Friday nights, but that was it. That's all I lived for. And now I have two whole days that are like so fun and so amazing. And yeah, my hangovers were crippling. So that has been a huge, huge thing for me. Um, I want to go back to one kind of what we were talking about of like labeling and length of time. I feel like 
there's so much pressure in sobriety communities and, and hype. And I think it's amazing of like the recognition, like in a, there's the coins. And I saw sober girls society has like cute little pins. Um, and I think it's amazing, but I'm curious, like how you handle, I don't know if you get very many like sober curious people in, in sober girls society, but it's like, I loved how you talked about this in the book. So I'd love for you to go into it more, but I, for example, know that my relationship from January 1st of 2022 is going to be different for the rest of my life. Like I am not going to be binge drinking. I'm not going to be the party girl that I was before. That being said, like there are some things where I might have a glass of champagne and honestly, like I am like autumn, I'm really terrified of labels. So part of it is just me not wanting to commit to be like, I don't know, maybe I won't have a glass of champagne, but not putting that pressure on myself yet. So then do you think if I were, and I know your answer to this, but (laughs) do you think (laughs) if I were to go four months, my sister's wedding, I think is exactly six months since I stopped. So then if I have a glass of champagne in the toast at my sister's wedding, does that mean I start at ground zero or like, how do you handle that or talk about it in sober girl society? Yeah. So my, I mean, people have got a lot of views on this. My, because my whole big thing is not like trying to convert everyone to sobriety. Again, my rules are do what works for you. I'm not you. You're not me. You know what works. So I don't think anyone has to like start from zero. At the same time, I think you have to kind of like um, respect and honor the people who perhaps think that their addiction is a lot more serious or it is serious and kind of really want to celebrate those milestones. But I think some people can kind of take it offensively if you were to be like, oh, well, I've done three months. So that's, I think, the difficult thing, like you say, in the communities. And me personally, I don't think you have to reset. And I don't think... I think the day thing again is a really hard conversation because I think like for me it's such a good look back at how how far I've come and I could be like wow I've done four years I'm really proud of myself but at the same time I also think the day thing can be quite tricky because I do think it can bring a lot of guilt like if I was to drink now people there are some people that would be like oh you know four years wasted and that's not because like I've, I've learned so much over the four years it's literally like four years minus one day so it is a really tricky conversation I think you absolutely have to do what is right for you I think again as well a lot of people project but say comments in a way that um they're they're trying to help you but then it's not coming across as helpful like because they know that actually they've been there and it can be a slippery slope like you know you have one glass of champagne at a wedding and then you're like I've cracked this moderation thing so the next time you go out you have like two or three and the problem is the way alcohol affects our brains it affects uh, a part called the prefrontal cortex so this is um responsible for like rational decision making and like uh, right or wrong it kind of weighs up uh, emotional responses things like that so even if you say i'm literally going to have two i've cracked this now once you have those two your kind of prefrontal cortex is like wavering <laughs> slightly and you're like oh I could have a third I could have a fourth and next thing you know you've done like five six so I think people want to warn people about that but don't necessarily do it in like the best way so they will project kind of that of like don't go back it's a slippery slope and then I have the whole kind of thing of actually it's been so freeing for me that the labels don't feel restrictive to me anymore. They feel quite freeing to be like, I'm alcohol free. Like I don't ever have to deal with a hangover. So I think it's really difficult and you have to be so strong minded on this journey to do what is right for you, whether that is full-time sober curious or full-time sober, you just have to have that awareness. Like if you go to this wedding and you crack that, you have that champagne, you're absolutely fine. And then the next few you do the same, great, carry on with that. 
if you start to feel yourself slipping the next time you go for two or three, maybe reconsider, be like, actually, maybe full-time sobriety is better for me. Like, you've just got to keep that awareness, keep having those conversations. And this is what I really like about Ruby Warrington's approach of sober curiosity is it's constantly reevaluating your relationship with alcohol, like checking in intuitively, why are you drinking? Is it because you're stressed or is it just because you want to raise a toast? Like, there are so many kind of healthier ways to drink and like ways that we're coping and things like that. So it's just constantly monitoring it and just making sure that you don't get back to a place that you were before. And as long as you're mindful of that, then you you have to do what works for you. Yeah. And I feel like the sober curious thing agreed. I think she's created a really cool space for people like me who like maybe aren't necessarily committing to full alcohol free, but there is, I mean, I can, I can officially label myself as like sober curious from January 1st, at least. And you bring up a good point that some people really deserve the credit it takes. Like, and I know in AA circles that there, there are some people who are fully physically and like life-threateningly addicted to substances and like they deserve the credit that it yeah. took <laughs> to get them to those points. And it, and it is a bit threatening. Um, and I also think that your point on like labels, I see that comment a lot on my TikToks of like people being like, yeah, I was drinking in moderation for a really long time, but it got exhausting to constantly be understanding where my boundaries were. And every time I went to a party, having to be like hyper fixated on like, I'm having one drink. I need to pace my drink throughout the night because then I don't have a drink after this one glass of champagne. And like, it just takes so much. I mean, I think you said mental gymnastics and it's, I've heard that like a lot of people are like, I quit drinking because I'm lazy. And this is how I feel. I'm like, I would quit (laughs) drinking because I'm lazy and I like shortcutting. And I feel like that is a shortcut rather than like doing all of the thought process involved in like, where are my boundaries and how do I figure it out? And like, I was talking to my sister and I was like, I feel like it could be like a special event thing, but it's so easy to call everything a special event. And like, it's my sister. Like Friday's a special event. Like where, where is the line? Or like, do I have a lot of friends? Like, are all of my friends' birthdays a special event, or is it just autumn's? Like all of those things. Yeah. So. And that's, that's where it gets tricky. And I always say sometimes I think it's actually harder to be sober curious because you might want to drink at so-and-so's birthday, but then your other friend says, oh, well, you drank at their birthday. Why aren't you drinking at mine? Whereas my blanket rule is not drinking at anyone's birthday. So no one kind of questions that. So I always say I actually really admire people who are sober curious because you're constantly renegotiating your boundaries. You're constantly saying, yeah, I'm drinking here or not drinking here. Like, And yeah, that mental gymnastics for me is just exhausting. I've, like, oh, I've had to, I need to stop now. It, it was more freeing for me it's easier for me to be sober than it is sober curious and for other people it's easy to be sober curious than it is sober yeah um whoa <laughs> I just had a whole point I was gonna make and then I totally forgot the whole thing <laughs> I like had it all in my head and then it, I was like oh god <laughs> well, I'm wondering we can kind of turn the tide dating and being sober in the beginning like how was that what did that look like because yeah. both Jordan and I are in long-term relationships but we kind of talked like if we broke up, like, oh my God, that would be so mortifying, so scary. And so I want to know about like your journey with that. And um, is it like, do some people, are they not interested off the bat? Do you tell them before the date? Do you not even say anything about it? Like, what is that? How does that look like for you? Yeah. So I was uh, the same as you guys in that I thought it was going to be like so scary. Um, But I actually say it was one of the best things I ever did. And I genuinely mean that because I thought most people would be like, no, thank you. Or you're boring or not for me. 
And I would say like 96% of people were absolutely fine with it. And if anything, a lot of, um, I mean, I'm straight, so I date men, a lot of men thought it was really attractive because they were like, wow, she's got the confidence to come on a date sober. Like, that's quite impressive. Like, actually, men thought it was it was quite cool, which I never expected. I thought people would be like, oh, it's super boring. But actually, people were really interested in it. And I think people really liked that they had to like, do a date that wasn't just drinking like it was a bit of a challenge for them I always told people up front that wasn't necessarily even for them that was for me because I wanted to make sure that they knew and that they were okay with it because the last thing I wanted was to get on a date tell them and then be like uh, then be a bit weird about it and so I always told people before I never really had it on my profile because I think some people can really prejudge and they kind of I, I don't think when I did have it on my profile that, that people were kind of swiping me as much. I think they thought that was an automatic no. But otherwise, if I would talk to them and have a conversation with them, you know, like the conversation with Flo, and then I said, like, if they said, oh, do you fancy a drink sometime? I'd just say, yeah, that's fine. But like, actually, I don't drink, so mine will be a tonic. I think by that point, they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'll take a chance because actually she's like funny or she's got good chat or all those things. So like, it, it wasn't as much of a deal breaker as I think it, it is as like an instant thing. So I always told them and then just kind of like went on the date and actually everyone was really okay about it. And if there was like one or two people who said, oh, like not for me, that's boring. Like that's cool because you're not going to be for me if you're someone who like needs to drink to go on a date. So I actually say it was quite an efficient way of dating because you kind of rule out straight away like people who, you know, might just their whole personality is based around drinking. And the best thing for me, I think when I used to go on a gone dates when I was drinking is I would just come away from every date being like yeah love them like really fancy them they're the one and then I'd go on a date with them sober and be like oh like no (laughs) what was I thinking and I think drinking can kind of like create chemistry it can give you like we say here beer goggles it can like make you really fancy the other person you can think they're really funny in your head and a lot of it's just the alcohol so I could kind of feel that authentic chemistry straight off the bat when I was dating like if this was going to be a thing if we could get on really well rather than just like going on all these dates and really liking them and actually not realizing that it was just the alcohol talking so it was quite obvious for me on dates whether I was going to like the person or not if you can get on with someone when you're not drinking straight away like that's a that's a really good sign so I think that was that was a good thing but it's like anything I always say alcohol is synthetic confidence so Mm -hmm. like if you're always relying on it you're like it's like a magic potion if you're not feeling confident you grab it you drink it and then you feel confident but the next day that confidence is gone like it's not there so with everything I do now I'm steadily building inside like innate confidence because I can't rely on getting it from alcohol so if every time I went on a sober day I was like well that was really scary but actually I was fine I didn't die I came away I was okay and then the next one, I'd feel more confident because you've like got that in your locker of I've done it before. And then when I got to a point, I was like, well, I've done like 10 sober dates now. I know exactly what it's like. If they don't like me, they don't like me. If I don't like them, I don't like them. Like It's just everything, dating especially, that you just build and build and build on, on the confidence of it. So I can't lie and be like, oh, the first date, you'll be absolutely fine sober. Like, no, it is, it is terrifying. Like, it is. But just the more you do, I think the more confident you become. And I think that confidence then carries through to other parts of your life. I think people drink a lot to cover nerves, but like nerves aren't a bad thing. And like nerves are just part of life. And so it's, you can't just always escape every emotion, even though sometimes it's easier to do that. But like, 
it's also a crucial part of life to feel those emotions too. Like the scary things make the fun things way more fun in a way. Someone asked me about dating on TikTok the other day and I'm in a long-term relationship. So I was like, I don't know. And my boyfriend is way happier that I'm not drinking as much. So it's different for us. But I was like, I can't really speak to dating sober, but I can speak to dating drunk. And I can say that it never helped anything. Like there were definitely cool people whose I ruined my relationship with them because I was drinking too much. And I was the party girl that they were like, I can't see, like, you're really fun, but like, I don't see a long-term relationship with someone like you because you're crazy, which was valid. valid. So that's what, I mean, that's what I tell people a lot. I'm like, is your drinking helping you date? Like, is it make, is it really like, I don't know, maybe, but, but yeah, having like authentic confidence and authentic connection is just always going to be so much better. Um, yeah. But I would love to pivot to Sober Girl Society and how you started that. So I'm, I have a feeling I know how it came around and have read a bit about it. But so in the beginning, when you quit, you were like looking around for resources. Did you find like, did you have resources that helped you? And what were those? So there were resources that helped me, but they were all kind of offline. So they were like books, like The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, all those kind of things. But um, I couldn't find any like online resources. And anything I did find was kind of either rooted in AA or just didn't really like align with kind of what I wanted to talk about. Like I wanted to find a platform that like girls are talking about how to sober date or, you know, what's the best non-alcoholic wine? And I just couldn't find it. And I kind of like really looked around and I found a few individual people, but I couldn't find any like communities. And at the time I followed different um, like community platforms that all had something in common. So whether it was like body positivity or talking about, you know, self-love or insecurity. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be really good if there was like a platform where women could talk about like being alcohol free or changing their relationship with alcohol um and, and everything I found as well that was kind of like rooted in AA or recovery was really dark, really like scary, not approachable, kind of that real rock bottom mentality. And I thought, well, I want something like that makes the conversation less scary, that makes people want to open up and talk about their relationships with alcohol and like not necessarily like appealing, but just like it didn't feel as dark and it actually feels like inviting to actually come into a safe space and talk about your relationship with alcohol. So I had very basic knowledge of Instagram. So I'm like, I can, I can start a page, that'll be fine. I thought there'd be like 10 people chatting like, oh, maybe we'll meet up. And it just it snowballed from like day one. And I was like, this is out of control. Like I had a full-time job and I was like coming home in the evening just like answering questions. And I didn't even put my face on the platform until it had 10,000 followers. And it it just like it was just going like from start to finish wild and it's still like it's, it shows no signs of slowing down and uh, yeah and then we started running events so there were loads of people were saying you know it'd be great if we can meet up so we were like okay cool let's get it organized so we started doing like boozeless brunches and then one of the main things that people said to me is oh, I can never get on a dance floor sober so we were like right let's tackle that let's you know, do some dance classes so that people can learn some like basic rhythm that they can take out with them and get their confidence up and just started doing things like that. And it, it just, it just went from there. And then kind of over the pandemic, I think a lot of people were like you guys in that they kind of reevaluated their relationship with alcohol and it just got bigger and bigger. So we started doing like virtual events for like people who couldn't come to kind of our London based or UK based events. 
and now it's just yeah it's such a lovely community of like people that really want to like help others as well so we put a lot out there to the community like it, it's my page that I run but it's, it's not even really about me it's, it's about everyone so like we put those questions out regularly there's like loads of opportunities for people to get involved we have like a pen pal scheme we try and like hook people up with people in their area so yeah yeah I love that everything about it is like light and airy and you know, cute and like the book is cute and the website's cute. And I feel like you also do a good job of towing the line of like talking about how it can be a very serious and difficult thing and to like not diminish that. But you're a great resource for people that are just like, I want to, I don't want something so like heavy and like, I want this to be fun. Like you have a way of making it fun. I remember I told my boyfriend when I picked up this book, I was like, I might quit drinking. <laughs> like, I might read this book and I might read more books and then get more excited and like have, like have this community and maybe I'll make friends in my area because of Sober Girl Society and like it just might like, I don't know, maybe it could be a turning point for me to like never go back. And so, but I think I would have never been interested in it before. Well, maybe not never, but I think it's like a faster turn of events because of Jordan and then mm. now having you on this podcast and reading this book. Like, I don't think if I don't think I would have been driven to like read this book maybe sooner. And so I think yeah. it's like all like good timing and it's also just fun to read. It's not, it doesn't feel scary to like dive into it. Um, yeah. And I was wondering at what point with Sober Girl Society were you like, oh, I might need to do this full time. Like I might need to quit my job. Like what was that turning point and how was quitting your job too? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, it got to a point where I was just spending kind of like every like waking moment that I wasn't at work on it. And then it kind of started creeping into work. And then people were asking me to do things that I couldn't do because I had a full-time job. So they'll say like, can you come record this podcast? Or do you want to come be on this panel? Or do you want to come and work with this alcohol-free brand? And I just couldn't do it. So I spoke to um, my boss. I was really lucky. I was working in journalism and just said, look, this is the deal. And she said, oh, this is really funny because another one of the magazines, they're currently looking for a freelancer to do like two days a week. So I quit my job and then did freelancing two days and then did three days on Sober Girl Society. And then like over the last kind of like three years, the balance has tipped to it being like completely full time now. So I still do the odd bit of like journalism magazine work because Sober Girl Society tends to have its busy points in like January and October but now that more people are interested in sobriety it's just it's non-stop now like even at Christmas it's still really busy so the more events we do and things like that the more it's taking up my time and I've been asked to do like a lot of amazing like corporate talks and work with universities and all that sort of fun stuff so yeah that was that was it was it was quite a big decision to like quit my job because I, I did love my job I loved working journalism but it was just like it just wasn't sustainable and I had to kind of pick one and I just knew that like Sober Girl Society needed to be out there more than they needed me working on a fashion magazine <laughs> so that's what that was kind of what I went with really. Yeah and I really like I think it does need to be out there I think it's so <laughs> cool and it's really hard I was talking to Autumn a few days ago about how not go I think one of the pitfalls of not going through AA and your sobriety is you don't feel that community and you don't have the people to lean on. And I think that's so important. And like, I can talk to my friends and my boyfriend about it all I want, but they just aren't going through it. So they don't necessarily like get it. And it's been really cool to see a community where people are just talking about it. And not only are they talking about it, but they're hyping it up. It's like, it's nice to see the positive spin on like 
this instead of like, oh, you're a failure <laughs> because you can't handle your drinking. It's like, how fucking amazing are all of us because we wake up on Sunday morning and we go to brunch without having to throw up in the middle of it because we, which yeah. I've done many a time, have thrown up and consumed too many yeah, bottomless mimosas. It's like, it's just really... <laughs> I agree. I think it was, it needed to be out there and it's so cool. And I want to touch on something you said, are you seeing a trend? Like, do you think it's just because of the pandemic or is, is there a larger group of people looking at sobriety? And I think part two of that is, are the reasons changing? Are you seeing any differences in like why people are looking at their sobriety? Hmm. I think it's definitely been sped up by the pandemic, but I think this was going to be the next kind of lifestyle shift. I think after like veganism, I think this was kind of like the next thing that people were like putting under the microscope. I think a big part of it is that the mental health conversation is widening. So I think this is kind of now coming hand in hand. I think for a long time, mental health conversation was, you know, blah, 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 self-care days. And I think people were like, yeah, but what about that poison that we're drinking every <laughs> single weekend? Like, we're just not going to talk about that. So I think people are kind of now coming on to that. I think people are just, you know, becoming more curious about everything, the things that they put in their bodies, the things that are affecting their mind. I think people are aware of that. I think more people are having therapy and, you know, like learning about feeling your feelings. And actually, like you were saying, when um, you drink, you kind of avoid those feelings of like nerves or anything. And actually, that's really not healthy for us to not be feeling our feelings. So I think it's it's just come at a really good time of people being more curious. I think at the same time, amazing non-alcoholic drinks are coming to the market so that's kind of helping alongside but I definitely think the pandemic has sped it up I think people have reevaluated how much they actually enjoy going out and partying I think they've kind of reevaluated how our comics and feel I always say it's a bit like you know if you're out in a club and you're like so drunk but you don't even realize until you go to the toilet and then you're like oh wow I'm, I'm really drunk I think for the first time a lot of social drinkers were drinking at home and actually by being in an environment that didn't have a lot of kind of like stimulus around people were actually able to feel how alcohol was affecting them like was it making them more sluggish was it making them like a bit more upset or stressed or whatever I think people have kind of realized that so I think the pandemic has definitely changed relationships with alcohol but I think it's just generally come at a time where people are are more curious I, I always do say I think social media has a lot to do with it um for for a good reason because I think the world is now so open like back when I was younger it was like you'd take a digital camera out and you, you didn't see the world through a phone but now you're like well I could travel I could start a business I could like the world seems like it's more open and accessible to us like people who never would have thought that they could you know start something before now can do that and they're not held back by alcohol so I think I think social media has just, yeah, made us change our priorities and see that there's a whole world out there outside of just drinking. I also think, like, I was talking about anxiety the other day, and I was talking to my friend's mom, and she was like, yeah, well, we used to go out, and no one had, like, you. it wouldn't get documented. You didn't drunk call your ex. Like, nothing happened. Like, you'd have your bubble, and the people that you were with would, like, see what happened. But, like, beyond that, it just kind of, like, was like went with the wind like once everyone woke up if nobody remembered nobody remembered and then you like move on and I feel like now it's like fuck did anyone get pictures of that like we're especially if you're like not like if you're I mean when you're in college you're with like so many people and you know everyone and so it's like it's not even just oh the three people I was with I'm worried about it's like literally every single person in that bar could have like gotten a video of me gotten a picture of me and so I feel like there's more 
like stronger and with good reason, anxiety. And that's what a lot of people, at least I see in my comments, like why a lot of people don't want to do it anymore yeah. is because of the anxiousness that comes with their hangovers. Yeah. Even having a phone, like when my mom and dad used to go out, they didn't even have a phone. Now we're waking up being like, oh God, I text my ex. I text my boss to save as a dick. Like all of these <laughs> things that can happen just from like having your phone on you. I think that that is, yeah, definitely an extra layer of anxiety. Part of me wonders, I have like two questions and probably neither of you guys know the answer, but <laughs> I wonder if one, if people have worse anxiety in part because did people like used to drink this heavy? Is this like when our, when like, like 50 years ago, like were people really drinking this heavy, this, I don't think so. Cause I think they were like working, like you like graduated high school and you had yeah. to start working. Like people didn't go to college as much back then too. So I'm kind of wondering, does that have a big impact on it? And then also I feel like social media has an impact because yes, you can like see the possibilities of what you're able to do. And like you see other people's points of views and like reflect on your own decisions, but also social media makes our mental health so much worse too. And so I think it's like a cycle where like your mental health is worse. So you're drinking more, but then you're drinking more, making your mental health worse. And like, I just wonder that's so layered. And like, I don't think either of us, but I just think it's an interesting point. Like, yeah. I, I think it's important to note that did people used to drink like this? Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't think people used to drink to the kind of like binge drinking levels that we drink now. Mm-hmm. I think that even things like shots are like a really big thing now, like Jaeger bombs, things that weren't really big things before. Um, I also think women are drinking like a lot more. So like we had kind of like a revolution here in the UK in like the 90s, which they call like Ledette culture. So before that, women weren't drinking as much as men. And then all of a sudden there was this like feminist revolution of like, oh, well, actually we can drink just as much as men, if not more. And, and that's kind of how drinking really started like ramping up here. And we had like Geordie Shore. I know you guys had like Jersey Shore and that like binge drinking culture really kind of like set in. So I think I, I personally don't think that people were drinking to the excess that we're drinking now. And then your point about kind of social media and everything and mental health, what the kind of the idea now is that mental health and substance abuse problems are so hard to untangle because it's really difficult to work out what came first. So when you go to practitioners now, it could be like, oh, are you drinking because you're anxious? But actually drinking exacerbates anxiety. So then you're drinking more. It's so easy to get in one of those cycles. And it could be with anything, you know, like your relationships are really terrible at home. So you drink more. Actually, by drinking more, it makes your relationships worse. So then you drink more because and like there's so many things that it can kind of again with confidence you know you're drinking because you're not very confident and actually you go on a night out you embarrass yourself so the next day you lose confidence then you drink because you don't have the confidence like it's so easy to get really quickly wrapped up in a cycle like that and it's really hard to untangle and then sometimes it's really hard to get diagnosis for like mental health problems because if you're kind of drinking at the same time you'll kind of get pushed from like substance abuse counsellors to mental health counsellors because they can't really work out what came first so if you are worried about your mental health, like one of the first things they say is like cut down on drinking so we can actually see, first of all, if that is having a big like impact on your mental health because that's what we need to work out. So it is really hard. Mental health and alcohol are so intertwined, but for a long time we've just left it out of the conversation. Yeah, yeah I feel like alcohol is a great number, but what Jordan and I have both been fighting is that like we don't want to live a life that you feel the need to numb yourself from. And so it's not even necessarily yeah. like, oh – we're never going to drink again, but 
only wanting to drink if it's going to like really add value or like be really fun instead and instead of it being like oh I had a hard day so I'm gonna drink like for me I have a long line of addiction and alcoholism in both sides of my family and so I'm like I made it a point to never drink by myself and to never drink when I'm sad as like yeah a coping mechanism because it's honestly probably one of the worst coping mechanisms too. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it makes you more sad. Like when you're when you have a come down of the hormones from the drinking, like you're getting sad while you're drunk too. Like it doesn't make you like yeah. actually forget. It just makes it like the pain kind of more numb, which I is like the whole reason we're starting this podcast is to like create an intentional life and yeah. not have one that you feel the need to escape from every weekend. Yeah. I think one of the best analogies, actually, a breakup coach um, I write about in the book, she said it's like a beach ball. When you try and push it underwater, that's what you're doing. When you're drinking, you're pushing it, but it is going to come up. It, it's not going away. You're just holding it down, squashing it down, and then the next morning it's going to, like, jump up and it's going to be worse <laughs> because that, that's what happens with the chemicals in our brain. Like, alcohol doesn't, like stop them completely it just puts a blocker in them so it's like a bathtub so the next morning you'll get a spike so like glutamate which is something that's like responsible for anxiety when you drink um you kind of um, alcohol will like block um glutamate production so it just stops it temporarily but meanwhile you've got like a backup of glutamate just like coming so then the next day when you remove alcohol it just is going to wash up you'll get a spike in anxiety and that's why the next day you like feel so anxious so it it doesn't it temporarily helps and then the next day it will just be worse ultimately yeah I feel like my it was very clear when looking back and like reevaluating my relationship with drinking I've like done a lot of the looking back and all of the times where I was like yeah that's where I was like fully like gonna ruin my own life is like so tied to breakups and like so directly tied to like how miserable I was in my life and then I would drink and then I'd be miserable forever (laughs) and basically just like a cycle (laughs) of like and like you said like been drinking four days a week it's like I get to Saturday and then I'd have to get through Sunday to Tuesday and then I could drink again on Wednesday to Saturday and like I just had to make it and it was very unhealthy. And I think there's, to- like you said, it's just like a constant feedback loop. But I also like yeah. the flip side of that. And I've seen these comments on my things on my posts a lot, like, oh, I quit drinking and I'm still depressed or like I quit drinking and I still have anxiety. And I think that's an interesting comment because for me, I've been diagnosed with depression since I was really young. And like, so I'm confident that my depression came before when I started drinking because like I was on antidepressants at a very young age and I always say like respond to people I'm like if you like go to a therapist like a psychologist then or psychiatrist because you probably have depression and like you yeah you probably were numbing it and so you had it and you thought it was that the alcohol's fault that you were feeling depressed and your hangover's fault but it was also the clinical depression that you have and like people I don't know, but I think it's such a good point of like, you have to get rid of the alcohol to identify that problem. And identifying the problem is like 50% of fixing it. So like, you're already on a great path if you can identify that you still have depression or anxiety after you stop drinking. Yeah. And I think that is such a solid misconception that alcohol, like sobriety is going to solve everything. Like it doesn't. I always say it's actually just the beginning because once you rip that, like 
safety blanket off you're like okay actually now I need to tackle things underneath so like for me I really suffer with anxiety and depression as well and so when I kind of took alcohol away I was suddenly really aware oh actually I do get really bad anxiety I used to think I was confident but I wasn't I was just drinking and then when I took that away I was like I'm really socially anxious I'm like sad most of the time so then I started going to therapy I got put on antidepressants like all of those things and it's just like removing a layer it's removing that safety blanket and going okay let's actually tackle what's really going on here why are you drinking because everyone's drinking for a certain reason and we just don't really even acknowledge that so it, it doesn't it, it like it helped in the way that I wasn't getting like hangover anxiety I wasn't constantly beating myself up alcohol affected so many things that then kind of indirectly affected my mental health so like you know I was poor when I was drinking because I was just like spending all my money on alcohol so like all those and then that would affect my mental health because I was worried about my debt and things like that so there's all those layers but fundamentally it's not just going to solve all your mental health problems you have to really take that away and then tackle it Mm -hmm. yeah and it makes it easier I feel like that was a big thing for me and circling Mm. back to me being lazy (laughs) like it's like I don't have the energy to be hungover and do anything productive and so I wouldn't make doctor's appointments and I wouldn't do any of those things because I'm tired all the time and like I think just just having the energy is a huge part of it and a huge benefit um but yeah the mental health conversation I think is so important because a lot of people don't get it you also talked about something in your book and I think you, you used an analogy that was like halt, like other people say halt, but then used oh, a yeah. halt bitch. And yeah. you had a whole acronym for that. But the one that I want to talk about, and I think this ties into the COVID thing we were talking about, is the I for isolation. Because mm-hmm. I think like Ruby Warrington talks often about the problem with drinking is not drinking. It's how and why you're drinking. And I really like that philosophy. Um And I think the why comes into play because a lot of people, I feel like they drank for social connection, but then in isolation, they would drink in place of social connection because they didn't have any Mm. social connection. And I think that is why it could be why a lot of people are like facing this, their, their alcohol problems because they're like, oh, I used to drink to socialize and now I drink alone because it takes the place of socializing. So like, have you seen that and have you heard conversations of that in sober girl society? Yeah, definitely. I think isolation is such a big one. I think we use alcohol to connect with people and when the people aren't there, I think we use alcohol, but like to connect, but the people aren't there. So it's not making the full connection. Um, So yeah, we do hear that a lot. And for me, like meeting other people was such a game changer like meeting like-minded people and I hear it with so many people and I do think that's like one of the biggest things that AA has like I know people that don't that go to AA don't do the steps but just the community is what saves them meeting other people that have like got their story or that they can talk to like I just think it is so so like important and I always say that's one of the first things I recommend when people and and people don't get it because they're like I just want to cut down on my drinking why do I need to make new friends I'm like because it's like so important I think it's really key and I think it's um it's the rat park experiment where like they had two rats have you seen this Mm. I can't remember I think it's Johan Hari don't quote me on (laughs) this there's like two rats and they give one one heroin or they give both heroin but one has like a rat park so it has like other rats it has like a little ferris wheel it has like loads of stuff and that 
that rat doesn't go to the heroine as much as the other one who's got nothing around it. So it's just that idea of like creating an amazing life and creating connections and having fun things that mean that like you don't need to turn to kind of and and there's all I think it's there's another Johan Hari book I can't remember what it's called but that's all about mm-hmm. connection oh lost connections I think it's called and all about how the fact that so many of us are kind of like drinking or turning to turning to substances and things like that is because we we don't have like a strong community and support network so I think it's so important yeah and I mean sober girl society is like perfect for that I'm now just like so sad for that rat I'll send you the YouTube clip it's actually very yeah. interesting no that sounds I just started reading the book on dopamine but I'll have to add that one next um yeah, yeah well this has been incredible thank you so much for sharing everything today I yeah so yeah I just I, I was reading your book and I was like I get to talk to her I'm so excited <laughs> um oh. but do you want to take this moment to hype yourself up sh- share your Instagram handles your book like give a little where can people find you yeah why not um so you can find me at Sober Girl Society um but quite a few people handle the DMs. so if you want to get in touch personally you can either email me or come to my personal profile which is at Millie Gooch um and then I have a book so it's called the Sober Girl Society Handbook you can get it in all good book places I think Book Depository is meant to be a very good one for if you're in the US because it sources from all different places um so yeah that's kind of the main spiel amazing thank you so much this has seriously been incredible also we didn't even get to like half the questions we had for you we'll do a part two in another time for sure we'll have you back um yeah we'll check it because yeah you are just a wealth of knowledge so thank you so much for sharing oh thank you thank you so much for listening we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at StillNoPlanPod. See you next next Wednesday. Wednesday. Woohoo!